So we come to the cross. And of course, this is familiar territory for all of us. But perhaps tonight we can explore some of the ways in which his wounds have made us whole. Some, some fresh perspectives on what it means to be people who gather at the cross. And to just begin our thinking, I'd like us to turn in our Bibles to John chapter 19 and verse 25. This is immediately before the death of Jesus. Jesus has very little time left. The moment is upon him when he will surrender his spirit and will cry with that great cry of victory, it is finished. Not a cry of defeat, but the word used in the Greek language for the completion of a transaction, the paying of a bill, tetelestai, Jesus cries. This is the moment when everything is complete, the transaction is finalized, and the bill has been paid. And just before that, we read of this particular occasion. John 19 and verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I'm sure that Mary and the disciple that Jesus loved, recognized by pretty much everybody that's read the scriptures, that it's John that we're talking about, the writer of this gospel. He's, um, he's self-effacing in one way, but not in another way. He's self-effacing in that he never tells us his name. He just tells us that Jesus liked him the most, <laughs> which is a, a kind of a funny way of being self-effacing, isn't it? But, um, but here, John and Mary are among those who are closest to Jesus and among the others that Jesus has invested his life into, very few are standing with them. There's no Peter, there's no James, there's no Andrew. There's none of the familiar faces of the 12. There's none of the gathered company of disciples that would make up the 72. There are three women named Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, has her sister along too. It's mostly the women 
who within the society at the time would not be recognised as significant figures in any public environment. And perhaps the youngest of the 12, John the Apostle. What brought them to this place? What was the journey that brought Mary to this place? Well, you know the story, of course. She encounters Gabriel, the angel, and the angel says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will bear a son and his name will be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And you know the story of the journey to Bethlehem and you know the story of the birth and of the shepherds and of the angels and of the wise men. You know the story of the, of the escape to Egypt and the return after the death of Herod to Israel. You know the stories of Jesus, the young boy, staying behind in the temple, causing great concern to his mother. You know the stories of Mary being with Jesus at a wedding and Mary saying to the head of the wedding party, you need to talk to Jesus about the lack of wine. You know the story of how Jesus returns to Nazareth and how his family and friends reject him. Perhaps you know the story of, of the family going to Capernaum. I think I've mentioned it in previous weeks. The family of Jesus, Mary and his brothers, going to Capernaum where Jesus is beginning to build an amazing movement of the kingdom. And maybe you remember that Jesus refuses to go out to his mother and his brothers, saying that the people around him are now his family. Perhaps you know too that the brothers of Jesus were cynical and sarcastic about his ministry, clearly not followers. And maybe, like me, you reflect on that young woman at the very beginning, wrapping her baby in strips of cloth so that he could be swaddled and cared for. And that same woman wrapping the body of her son in strips of cloth that he might be buried and laid in his grave. What brokenness must have come to the heart of Mary as she watched her son die in agony, as she wrapped the same body in strips of cloth, even as she had done when he was a baby. A sword will pierce your own soul, said Simeon. Surely, the sword was piercing her soul as she stood in the shadow of that cross 
alone and perhaps by now somewhat disconnected from her family because her other children were not following Jesus. Who was to care for her? Who was to help her through with her grief? She had no picture as yet of the resurrection. And then Jesus sees her near the cross. Remember that, near the cross. And addresses her, dear woman. An indication that, that the relationship that would be the natural relationship of mother and son is no longer the relationship that she can kind of connect to. But it's, it's a word of tenderness and of mercy and of intimacy and of love. Dear woman, here is the son that you're about to lose. He'll take care of you. And we know, of course, both in the memory of the church and in the histories of the ancient world that that what we read here in the text is absolutely true. John took Mary into his household and she traveled with him and he cared for her until she died at a very great age and was buried in Ephesus where he would be the leader of a great church. And what of John? John, the one who is somewhat diffident at the beginning. Jesus has returned from the wilderness and is passing by John the Baptist as he's ministering to the crowds and calling them to prepare themselves for the coming king. And he points out Jesus as he passes the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew, and again perhaps John, I would imagine almost certainly John, they hear those words and they wonder what that could mean. And so they begin to follow at a distance and Jesus looks over his shoulder And he says, what do you want? And like young boys that probably they were just perhaps teenagers, they coyly and rather shyly say, we want to hang out with you. And so Jesus invites them along. And John is swept up into this amazing mission and movement. And he's there at all of the crucial times. He's there on the Mount of Transfiguration when he sees Jesus transfigured before him, bright shining like the sun. He's there as the crowds welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. He's there as Jesus bows in prayer in Gethsemane. And unlike almost all of the other disciples, John stays near to Jesus. 
when he goes into the court of the high priest because he's known there. Perhaps his fishing business was supplying the salt fish that was renowned throughout the world from the, from the Sea of Galilee. Perhaps he was supplying that fish, that luxury bit of commodity to the household of the high priest. We don't know, but he was known to that household. And so they let him in. And John followed closely behind Jesus and was the eyewitness that gives us all of the details of his conversations. Peter hangs back and you know the story of his denial. But somehow, John is deeply attached to the understanding that he has to be near Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. It wasn't a king. It wasn't a royal personage. It wasn't, it wasn't the greatest or the most publicly recognized figure amongst the disciples who saw Jesus alive again. But the ones who recognize that amazing truth first were the ones who were at the cross. It was the women. And we're told that John, when he got to the grave ahead of Peter, saw the folded grave clothes and he believed. He was the very first of the 12 to realize what had happened. It was as though the Lord was rewarding those women and that one amongst the 12 who stayed at the cross with this great gift of being the very first people in all of history to know that this event was not a defeat but a victory. So what are we to make then of what it is that Jesus is doing when he says to Mary, this is your son, and says to John, this is your mother? I think that we have to, we have to come to the conclusion that what it is that Jesus healed on the cross that what it is that Jesus made whole on the cross, that what it is that Jesus made possible on the cross goes far beyond a transaction of our sins for his forgiveness. It goes into the entirety of our life. Where is there brokenness in your life? Where is there brokenness in your family? Where is there brokenness in your, in your family story? Where are the challenges that cause you consternation tonight? What are the things that you can't deal with? What are the things that overwhelm you? What are the things that overshadow you from the past or dazzle you from the future? What is it? 
that when you are alone, you know is bigger than you. Jesus paid the price. Jesus offered the essential component in the transaction that made it possible for all of our brokenness to be made whole. A family was formed at the cross. Just think of that. Let me give you some examples of how it's worked in mine and Sally's life. Sally and I, we knew each other when we were teenagers. We went to the same church. I became a Christian, joined the church that Sally was part of. We were just really good friends for a few years and the friendship blossomed into a courtship as Sally was preparing to go to college and I was already at seminary. I was 19, she was 18. We began to date. It was a kind of long distance thing and understandably, Sally was thinking that perhaps it was too quick to make big decisions about her future when she'd not really had a chance to think through what it was that God was calling her to do. And so she, she shared that little truth with me one time. And it was difficult for her to share it, but she was incredibly gracious and honest in sharing it. And although she was, it totally devastated me because I was sure that she was going to be my wife. And I can remember the morning when I woke up after the news, the snow had fallen on the grounds of the college on the outskirts of London. It was covering all of the tree branches and there was that crisp surface on the snow that when you put your feet onto it, it kind of crunched and then let you through. And I ran and ran and ran and ran to the furthest point in the enormous grounds of this college and sat beneath an elm tree and wept. But what I decided to do was just stay with it, not run away from it, not find some excuse to come up with another plan, but just to hold it before the Lord. You see, the thing is, you and I will always, at some point in our lives, encounter our own personal cross. There will be loss in this life. There will be difficulty in this life. There will be struggle and brokenness in this life. And the question is this, will we be near the cross when that happens? Will we be like Mary and John or will we be like the other disciples who for fear, 
for pain, for pride, withdrew. When you face your brokenness, when you encounter your cross, do you retreat from the Lord or draw near? Mary and John were near the cross. And because they were near the cross, they could hear the words of Jesus and the words of Jesus healed them. It was fascinating for me that just a year later, I was still carrying the reality of that loss when Sally came to me and said, I failed all my examinations this year. It's gone really, really bad. And I think I need to press the restart button. And I think it's with you that I need to restart. You see, she came to her cross and we found one another kneeling in the same place. I wonder whether you're looking for something. If it's something that God wants to give you, you'll find it at the cross. Are you looking for a spouse? Are you looking for the the fixing, the the renewing, the, the making whole of something that's been broken or lost? All of our wounds are healed by his wounds. All of our brokenness is brought back together again in his broken hands. These last few years, Sally and I have been mostly retreating from the world of public ministry. We've done lots of ministry amongst leaders around the world, privately in huddles and small groups. But mostly we've been retreating from public ministry because we've been praying through and dealing with some very big and significant griefs and losses in our life. And we didn't know that there was a church anywhere that we would ever go and be involved with in public ministry again. But there was a church that was going through its own grief and going through its own brokenness. And somehow, we found each other kneeling at the cross. You will encounter your cross. The question is, will you bring that experience to the cross and hear the words of Jesus and know his touch of healing and restoration and forgiveness?
And if, if you will, in the encounter of your own personal crucifixion, bring that to the cross. And if you'll hear the words of Jesus and if you will receive the healing that he offers, the only other question is this, will you do it again and then again until it becomes such an ingrained pattern of behavior in your life that when children look at you, they'll be able to know exactly what they need to do with their struggles. When new believers look at your life, they'll know exactly what to do with their brokenness and their difficulties. Nobody will need to explain it to them because someone kneeling at a cross, that's a very obvious thing. And so tonight, as we, as we celebrate this amazing gift of forgiveness and, and a relationship that's been mended, that was broken between us and God, let's remember that there's even more available in the cross than perhaps as yet we've experienced. And let's go on to receive grace upon grace, healed relationships, renewed lives. Let's find, yes, the center of our faith, but let's find our family and our future there. Let's pray together. Lord, you say through Paul that we have been crucified with you and that we no longer live, but that you live within us. Lord, we pray that as we recognize that truth in our lives, it would become a pattern of discipline, a pattern of discipleship that draws us always to the cross. And Lord, tonight, as we remember on this special day all that you've done, we celebrate you and we, we give you thanks, Lord Jesus, that you, by your wounds and by your gift of life, have made it possible for us to receive not only forgiveness, but faith and family and a future. And we remember that in the night that you were betrayed, you took bread and gave it to your disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, you took the cup and gave it to your disciples saying, drink this all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins.